delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV, taking a bite out of technology. Hello and welcome to episode 476 of the Dutakis for Saturday, August 3rd, 2019. This is the week's most notable tech stories in around an hour or less in podcast form. We take the week's most notable tech stories, talk about them, discuss them, analyze them, debate them, and then leave you for another week. This week, streaming holdouts relent... YouTube faced trade union action. And further evidence, people do not want a thousand pound phones. Welcome to episode 476 of the show. Was turned into a, I say turned into as if it's a recent thing, but for the nine... Last nine and a half years has been a technology pod- podcast. Let's restart. Has been a technology podcast and devoted to the week's most notable tech stories. I guess you could say that is subjective, but we'll go with it. What we feel are the most notable technology stories. What's what have hit the headlines? We'll go with that. That's that's open to last interpretation. Hello, Aaron. Hello. How are we? Ah, pretty good. Yourself? Yeah, can't complain. Cannot complain. We're back to talking about Apple and Samsung. So we've the last two weeks where we we didn't for the last two weeks, isn't it? Certainly not last week, really. Um, and then the week before, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a little bit, but nothing major. But um, yeah, we're we're back. We did talk about Apple in the quick news last week, I guess. But yeah, wouldn't be a week without one of the two flagships, would it? Ah, exactly. And I guess Apple and Samsung. We're always talking about phones, and that's what we're talking about today as well. That shows what we focus our attention on in technology phones, particularly. And further evidence has suggested that the price point just isn't quite right anymore. And we've talked about that before. It's nothing new. It's not just us. A lot of people have said that. A lot of sites, a lot of, you know, technology reporting sites have have, have pointed the obvious. Hasn't always been concrete evidence. There is now, to some extent, earnings reports. They do show that there is a general consensus. We'll discuss that later on in the show. We've also got uh, an interesting one based on a rock band. It'll be more up your street, Aaron, not mine. But um, more to the point their online catalogue, their catalogue, sorry, is, is finally available online um, from them previously saying, nope, we, we do not want the stream. And that's interesting to see bigger artists still doing that, but that's depleting. More and more are switching over. And then YouTube, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, apart from that, in terms of news, no real releases. And yet again, I think that's going to be for the next while because, um, and I say while, I mean three, four, five weeks, just until Apple get their iPhone event over. And then that's when things start to push on to the, the Christmas season really towards December and companies try and get their best things out as quickly as possible. But summer typically does have, there is a lull really between July and August. And I would say August more so than July, if I'm... Yeah, August is when August is when everyone is on holiday. So uh, it's always yeah. been a tradition a bit quiet. Yeah. We will talk about the, the main stories. Before we do that, we are going to head to the quick news. Just how uncool can Facebook make Instagram and WhatsApp if exerting more influence over the direction of both apps when installing Facebook executives wasn't enough? Now the social network giant is going to add Facebook to their names. Instagram will soon become Instagram from Facebook and WhatsApp will turn into WhatsApp from Facebook. The company already follows this approach with its workplace app. The information first reported plan changes which Facebook confirmed directly. The new titles will appear in the title for both the apps in Apple's App Store and Google Play. On your device's home screen, the name for each will mercifully remain the same for now, but it's also very likely that you'll see from Facebook on the splash screen for both apps. Facebook already made this exact change with Oculus. First, Google, then Apple, and now Amazon, all three are bowing to pressure from the EU over the first issue of humans reviewing recordings from their prospective digital assistants. While Apple and Google paused human review, Amazon has decided to offer a clearer, more comprehensive opt-out setting to Alexa users. Amazon already offered a much clearer set of privacy policies than either Google or Apple did, having set up a privacy portal for the last round of scandals over Alexa voice recordings revealed more than most realised. That portal's now been updated, um, or has updated language, sorry, around what 
checking certain boxes will do. Amazon has been criticized for partnering with at least 200 law enforcement agencies to carry out surveillance via its Ring doorbells. The partnership came to light after a freedom of information request was made by Vice's Motherboard Tech News website. The bells send live video of customers' doorsteps to their smartphones, computers, or Amazon Echo devices. Digital rights campaign group Fight for the Future says Amazon is encouraging neighbors to spy on each other. The partnerships allow police officers to ask customers to share videos and information about crime and safety issues in the area via the Ring app. In response to the story, Ring told the BBC that, quote, law enforcement can only submit video requests to users in a given area when investigating an active case. Ring facilitates these requests and user consent is required in order for any footage to be shared with law enforcement. And finally, Apple this week announced financial results for the third fiscal quarter of 2019, which corresponds to the second calendar quarter of the year. For the quarter, Apple posted revenue of $53.8 billion and net quarterly profit of $10 billion, or $10.18 per diluted share. Compared to the revenue of $53.3 billion and net quarterly profit of $11.5 billion, which equated to $2.34 per diluted share in the year-ago quarter. The revenue figure has been Apple's highest ever for the June quarter, just beating out the 10 ago, or sorry, the year ago quarter, although profits dipped on lower margins. Two not ten, just being corrected there. What did I say? You said net quarterly profit of ten billion or ten dollars and eighteen cents per diluted share. Oh, I they're wish not, that would be nice. Then I was about to say they're not that generous. <laughs> okay, two dollars eighteen cents. Sorry, apologies. Ten billion or two dollars eighteen cents per diluted share. Sorry, let's go again. Hold on. Um, and uh, net quarterly profit top. of ten billion dollars or two dollars eighteen cents per diluted share. Is that better, Aaron? It's acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Okay, so um, Facebook, this is interesting because, I mean, it's not as if Facebook need to get the word out about Facebook, is it? And it's not as if Facebook really need to get the word out that Facebook own Instagram and WhatsApp. Maybe they do. I I don't know if that's a general... I mean, would you you say that's generally known by by everyone? I don't understand really why it needs to be generally known. Why why does it matter that Instagram is by Facebook or why does it Mm. matter that WhatsApp is... Is by Facebook. Not that not that Facebook made either of them in the first place, but um, it yeah, just seems yeah, yeah, a little sure. odd. Like Facebook has F- Facebook, the brand name has such a stigma attached to it. With the general yep. populace as well, it's not just like that. That stigma is as far extended beyond just the tech community, like it was a mm-hmm. few years ago. I think you talked to general Joe Public, and the Facebook brand has that stigma with everyone. So I think people are a lot of people complain about Facebook. A lot of people probably don't use Facebook now. Or or deleted their accounts, but people obviously still use uh, Instagram and WhatsApp. Probably less aware that they're by Facebook, um, or even just it doesn't have that stigma, so they're not going to worry about it. Yeah. So it just feels like putting the Facebook brand on both those apps is going to do more harm than good. I can't see that there's people like holding out uh, against downloading them in the app store, like, well, it doesn't have Facebook branding, so I'm not going to download it. Like, it's it's going to be the complete opposite of that. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's not going to, I don't see it doing anything good for Facebook. I mean, it's not as if Facebook need people to know about Facebook. Everyone knows about Facebook. But the only ramification this could have is someone saying, ooh, Facebook. Hmm. I've heard a lot about them. I'm not so sure. Especially with WhatsApp because WhatsApp's the whole, you know, private communication. And yes, there is end-to-end encryption, or at least it boasts it, but I don't know. What, you know, is that trustworthy? Yeah, you know. And so, this could only say to me that, and this is me thinking I could be completely wrong. Normally I am. But is this Facebook clear clutching on straws and saying, okay, we're becoming a little less popular here. We need to, to, to keep going and keep putting Facebook in front of people's faces on their devices. Is this Facebook's cry for help? Is it them saying, right, you know, we, we, we were and are popular, but our graphs show something of a decline. It not, I'm not saying anything major, but is it showing something? Is, is this a knee-jerk reaction to a problem that maybe doesn't exist, but they feel it does? Or I, 
You know, because ultimately you can say, yeah, people are quitting Facebook and people don't like Facebook and Facebook's doomed. But really it's not. And people aren't quitting at that at that rate. And they'll be around for a good while longer. They've far too many users. They have far too much of a grasp on advertising and they are far too valuable, both financially and also to advertising companies, to themselves. And I hate to say it, to the general public for anything to happen over a short space of time. But what is this? Is is this them panicking? It does feel a little bit like that. I agree with mm. you that Facebook are, a, you know, an extremely large company, but how the mighty have fallen before. Sure, sure. Um, Facebook, whilst they are bigger than anyone that's come before them, it, I think we all reached that point where we thought MySpace, you know, or Friendster were, were never going to disappear. And lo and behold, they, they well, they both kind of did. Yeah. Um, I wish Facebook would disappear. I would love it if Facebook disappeared, <laughs> but uh, I think I have to wait a little while longer for that. And the one thing I would say is, so many people I know have deleted the Facebook app from their phone because mm-hmm. they gained some common sense and realized that having the Facebook app on their phone wasn't the smartest thing to do. These people, including myself, still have, I mean, I don't have WhatsApp at all, but Instagram, for example, still got it on my phone. And for all the same reasons people delete the Facebook app off their phone, I think it's going to lead people to start questioning the other apps that are on their phone. Can you actually trust WhatsApp with its end-to-end encryption? Can you actually trust that Instagram isn't, I don't know, using cameras and microphones for nefarious purposes like the Facebook app has been caught doing. You know, there's all mm. these just things that the Instagram and WhatsApp app may well be doing right now, but because they're mm. not by Facebook, I think most people go, eh, different brand, different different set of problems. So, yeah, I would, Yeah, it's tricky. Because I'm one of those people that I implore anyone and everyone to, to delete the Facebook app off their phone. <laughs> At the very least, because people who complain about battery life you tend to have that app and it's like hmm let's put two and two together um but at the very worst, I think, you know, the amount of privacy scandals that the Facebook app has been caught up in, it just feels like the obvious thing to do now. Like, why would you, why would anyone want to aid that? Um, but, you know, I'm not one to delete the Instagram app. So it does feel a little bit like a, like a brand issue. Yeah. And, and your evidence of that, supposedly. Interesting. Amazon will let you update of the human recording review of uh, Alexa recordings, Alexa demands, requests, discussions with Alexa. And this, this is flagged over the last few months maybe the last half year of as being a thing it was never (laughs) this just goes to show how how little people read any end user license agreements or terms of agree or terms of service agreements i guess there is no way and i can't say they did or didn't because i'm not aware but there is no way this was not in the terms of service you know we will record and we will analyze and xyz but no one really noticed no one someone noticed everyone thought about it and heard about it it hit the news and there's this whole privacy ooh, being listened to and you know what yeah well, it, it was very sneaky of all three company involved, three companies involved, sorry, because, yep, they, they put it in their license agreement. But to do the right thing would have been to make it clear to users, we do this. Do you want us to do this? You can opt out of this. There is no option to opt out. Basically, use the device and be recorded and reviewed or don't use it at all. Whereas Amazon have now said you can opt out. And I think that's a much, much, much better solution as opposed to just forcing users into this. Yeah. And I, I think the other two need to follow that as well. Amazon oh, 100%. Who yeah. have made a concrete change and the other two are just on pause until the problem blows over, I imagine. Google and Apple have failed to do anything really to revoke a reinstate, sorry, not revoke, reinstate um, consumer confidence in this issue. And this is a, a confidence issue because people are genuinely worried and it sounds ridiculous that these devices are listening to them. I think Apple will suffer a little bit from the issue that Apple will come out saying that they use these recordings to help improve Siri and everyone's response will be why was Siri so terrible, is so terrible for so long in that case? What improvements have you been using this for? Yeah. Because the, the other two, vastly superior to Siri, and it feels like they have a little bit of an excuse for Apple. It's just so bad that it, uh, yes, it's still hilarious. How bad they don't Siri have an excuse. Well, yeah, exactly. But um, I mm. imagine they'll both do something similar. Um, I think Google will be interesting to see how they play that. As I think Google are the, I don't know, the sneakiest, is that the right word, I guess? Um, I've always felt a little more 
confidence in, in both Apple and Amazon to a degree, he says, sitting with a Google Home Mini three feet away from him. <laughs> I guess Google have the most to get from it. Yeah, that's they're what... The they're, that's... Who could use the data the most cynically, I guess. They're the words I was looking for, yeah. Which, yeah, is is where the concern alleviates from, I guess. It's tricky because I highly doubt any of this was being used in any nefarious way. No. Um, I know no. we heard a couple rumblings over the years, but on a mass scale, I think the, the slight hysteria these devices have about they're always listening, people are listening to you. It's like, in reality, there's millions of these devices dotted around the world. It's physically impossible unless Amazon employed millions of people to, mm. you know, to, to just one by one listening to every every Echo or every Google Home or, yeah. or whatever. Then I think we have to use a little bit of common sense and realize that actually these companies did do just want to use it for improvement. But I do agree with what the EU are saying. I, I do think it at least needs to be clearer or at least needs to be opt out. I think a, the default opt-in world we now seem to live in, or sorry, the default opt-out world we see, now seem to live in where, where everything is turned on by default unless you say otherwise, even if there probably isn't an option half the time to turn it off. I think mm. that needs to be, be questioned more and be changed more like it is here because I think we do need more control over, over all of our data at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can we can go around just blissfully accepting these things for what they are. I, yeah, I, I do not understand why wasn't opt-in because a lot of these things normally are you know, opt-in to giving your usage reports back to Apple on your iPhone or sending err um, instances to Google from Android or Microsoft's <laughs> which pops up very often crash reporting service for Office on the Mac can you or do you want to send their reports back I love that whenever I force quit Outlook at work <laughs> so like like the machine like I need to restart the machine for an update or whatever and you know on the Mac when, when something gets stuck it just it, the whole mm. thing gets stuck so you're like you're yep. forced squitting at just yep. because Outlook's like determined to not sync with the ship yep um, and, then, and then it's like your Mac could not be restarted because Microsoft error reporting opened it's like oh for god's sake <laughs> it's an annoying app in the world you end up force quitting that and then it's like a round robin circle yeah. yeah yeah, but if we're being asked would you like to report you know this is your information would you like to send it to us when really there's less sensitive information there than what there is in a voice recording through a device which you could be asking anything you know you could send Aaron a text message to say X, Y, Z, A, B, C. I could be sharing something that's personal. So if you're going to ask a user, would, would you like to send us this error report? Then I think you need to ask them, would you like to send us a voice recording of a potentially pe- a sensitive message which you're sending through our service? There's, yeah, there's boundaries. And I think, I think the company's missed the mark with that one. Apple, Google, and Amazon. All three as bad as each other. Amazon have just regained themselves themselves a little bit better here in giving the users. And I think they did that intentionally. I think the minute this happened, they said, we, we need to instill confidence because... The Echo for Amazon is bigger than what Apple's HomePod or Google's home devices are, in my opinion. It, it it constitutes more to their brand and more to their earnings than the two do for Google or Apple at this point. And I'm not saying that's why Amazon did this. I'm just saying Amazon are aware this is a big thing for them. And they've hit the market pretty well. They don't want to mess up. Google and Apple are kind of messing up at the moment. Not exactly great when Apple's sales of the device have not been in any way impressive. Interesting decision. Be nice to see what happens. Uh, more privacy focus on Amazon. Hit, hit a horse when it's down, right? So the, the Ring doorbell. I is is this a problem, Aaron? And, and because I'm if there's a problem, I'm the first to speak out. Speak out. And I I disagree with 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 taking information without the user consent. But I don't see anywhere here in this story that says it just takes it. Just just sends it. No, it's it's right. it's explicit consent of the user. Um, it, it it's it's only for law enforcement because I mean if, if someone had a CCTV camera in their house and there was a crime in the area well the, the likely thing is that someone's going to come knocking on your door i.e. law enforcement do you have that footage we're investigating a case I mean that's that's the way it works I did point. read I did read the slightly sensationalist title I went oh no this is bad because you mm. thought it was like automatic or that law enforcement yeah. could basically have a have like a Back CCTV door. CCTV overview of, of a neighbourhood or whatever mm. and then you, you read further and further down it's like oh it's literally if the user says yes and they can only have they have to have a case open in the area and it's like oh that seems like something people would do anyway the only thing I guess I can see is the fact that traditionally you know when people have CCTV people willingly hand that information over whereas if this is is kind of going to be semi-automated then I can maybe see an issue but people still have to say yes so it does feel a bit a bit tricky I guess 
the flip side is this won't come from or that information won't come from people you know so if you say yes to you know a clip being shared from your ring video doorbell i'm getting the assumption that the partnership is going to mean that you don't then have to download that clip and email it to law enforcement i'm getting the impression that that will be automated via amazon or there will be some kind of portal or something for law enforcement i can maybe see that being a slightly bigger issue because as we've seen in the past just because something has the best of intentions doesn't always mean that's the way it's used or it doesn't get mm. hacked or you know a data breach of some kind because um, as soon as you put a backdoor in regardless of the intentions for said yeah. backdoor it will always get used for something else as well so uh, I think the, the article headline made this like way worse than it actually is I think it definitely paints Amazon and Ring in a bad light um, I think if you actually read the article it doesn't seem as bad but I can still see people's issue with it at the end of the day the amount of stuff we're connecting to the internet the amount of IP based cameras we're connecting to the internet this feels like a bit of a no brainer to law enforcement to at least ask because the more they can crowdsource footage um, you know we're especially in the UK we're becoming an ever more you know cameraed up state mm. that being able to crowdsource footage feels like only a benefit for, for both the police and the community so the, the only person who suffers here is whoever they want to see on camera potentially if something was done wrong so yeah this is, I, I I see no issue to this and it, it's in the stories mainly for the fact just to point out this this is a thing but I, I you know please tie up criticized here's the, the, the title Amazon ring please tie up criticized by anti-surveillance campaigners yes because there's mass surveillance going on here they're they're really sitting watching every single stream from every single device every day 24 7 you should that's go and turn your ring off right now that's exactly how i went into the after reading the yeah, title yeah i can imagine exactly how i assumed the article was gonna read and then for it to basically do a complete 180 on the title yeah that's uh, fake news read the articles kids presidential leader would say what was that sorry read the articles kids don't just read the titles yeah exactly and uh, yeah so then apple's results which were were promising i i, I don't really i mean they're Profit was down, quarterly profit was down, which is never, you know, you never, you're never going to celebrate that. But their revenue was up, not by much, but it was still up. Yeah, I, was well, say, I say yeah. not by much. This is by Apple much or by a big company much. Fifty three point three billion versus fifty three point eight billion was still up. What it did show was a decline in iPhone sales, and that further backs up what we'll talk about later. But that also just shows, I think, a stabilization of the market for Am- or Apple in, in in that product category, and it also shows there was growth in other areas too. So. See, I think this is just a natural evolution. The, the the flip side I have to that argument is just a couple years ago, we were, every, or everyone was talking about how Apple are relying too heavily on the iPhone. You know, all of Apple's revenue is coming from this single source. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Flip side, two years later, here we are talking about, you know, revenue increasing, but yet the actual revenue coming from the iPhone is decreasing. And everyone's talking about this like it's the end of the world. Where it's like, what do you want Apple to do? Just a couple <laughs> years ago, we were all talking about how they need to diversify by their, where their money's coming from. Here they are basically doing that and here we are all going, oh no, the iPhone's failing. Mm. I'm, Tim Cook must be sitting there like banging his head off the wall. <laughs> yeah. If, it, it, he just hopes that stakeholders aren't saying that so much. Shareholders. I, yeah, I don't, I don't see this an issue. I'm not worried. I don't think anyone else should be. If they come along and say, oh, well, we've only sold a quarter of the iPhones that we would have this time two years ago, then I think we should be worried. I don't think it matters though. I I think in reality, investors are like fickle people, and uh, as long as the numbers go up when it comes with the dollar sign, then that's mm. probably all they care about. Oh yeah, that's all investors care about. But I- I'm talking about from a, a company perspective, watching Apple and seeing how they're doing. But I but just, yeah, no, you're right. I just don't. Th- I mean, we'll talk about it when we talk about thousand pound phones, and maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> Potentially, that 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 might be a, a a factor to it. Yeah, you're right. Before that, one of the last remaining music streaming holdouts. Has has relented, and this uh, comes alongside the announcement of a, a new album from this particular band. It's a rock band never heard of, Tool. They said that their catalogue will find, and I'm not saying they're not very big, so I'm assuming here they are,
are. Um, so their catalogue will finally be available to stream and to purchase digitally on August 2nd. They said their albums will be available on all digital and streaming formats, which is expected to include the likes of Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Amazon Prime Music, etc. Until now, they've been one of the biggest artists to refuse to sell their music digitally. However, over the years, the band's position has become more and more isolated as the likes of the Beatles, Metallica, ACDC, Led Zeppelin have all caved one by one and allowed their music to be streamed as part of a monthly subscription. That's just a couple of artists um, who are not available to stream, including De La Soul, Alaya, the R&B artist who passed away in 2001. So, is this a thing with rock artists? Am I... No? Or... No, this is just... Maybe? Tool or a, tool or a just massive... A t- tool or a massive... Or were, uh, were. I think I was looking yesterday and it's like, I haven't heard that name in years. And then you look... Were and, and are still trying to be. <laughs> their, their, their last album was, I think, 2006. Just quite okay. the, uh, the, the... It's not like the band... I was checking their Wikipedia. It's not like the band has, has gone on hiatus or anything. They've been an active band for the entire time. So it's just an odd thing. I do love uh, the last paragraph in the article. Um, as well as being able to stream, Tools Music is also coming to digital services, which is likely to include the iTunes Music Store, the service that came to define the digital music era after it launched back in 2001. Somewhat ironically, Tools' announcement comes as Apple prepares to discontinue iTunes, meaning the band was just months away from successfully skipping out on the entire iTunes generation. That would have been quite a story. Do you think they missed out by, and I'm not saying iTunes, but do you think they missed out by not being available on these platforms, um, both streaming and per- digital purchase platforms for so long? I, w- I would say yes, because there's a band I've never heard of in my life, and I potentially could have, no, I'm not saying I would have, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a, an advocate, I, I don't listen to rock, so, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, I'm just saying I don't listen to it, so that that could be why. But also, th- there's nothing to say if they had have released a really big hit that it couldn't have been advertised on one of those platforms, and hence, I could have learned about them, or someone else, you know, did, did they miss out here? By, I mean, by being hesitant? I, I, I think you described it yourself, you haven't heard of this band because it's not your genre of music. Um, I mean, I'm not a particularly big Cool fan either, and it kind of is my genre of music. Cool have traditionally been a little kind of too heavy for my liking, but um, they are a huge band. On the flip side, they haven't released an album in over a decade, and I think not having a n- new music or a new album come out, I think slightly helps their argument, because their last album came out when streaming services didn't exist. Now, it did come out in the midst of the, you know, digital music revolution, i.e. iTunes, um, but I think having not released new music in recent times, I don't think they've had a need to be on those streaming, uh, be on the streaming platform, sorry. You read the article and it points out that whilst they are finally going against their holdout of streaming services, they have also announced a new album is coming. So I think even they've probably realised that. For a new album or new music do well, unfortunately as much as you may hate it, you do need to be on, on streaming music platforms. And it actually reminds me, I can't remember if we talked about it on the show, I follow an artist called Moog. He's actually a part of the YouTube duo for Mighty Carbot. Um, but his real job is making music. Um, I think you've got, you like some of his songs as well. Um, Tradition does like electronic stuff and whatnot. And he posted on Facebook a while ago, I'll try and link to it in the show notes, I think. He posted his receipt for his streaming services income. And small-time artists, you know, we're not talking top 40 numbers of, you know, tens of millions of streams, but we're still talking a healthy number of streams. And I think he made something like $7 or something like that. I'm not sure if it was over a month or over a year or, or what the time span was, but it was some like astronomically small figure. And he put in the post reminding people that if you want to support an artist you like, then actually go and buy their music, go and buy a CD, go and buy it from iTunes, however you want to do it. Because streaming services, I think while we all love them and I think it makes discovery of music easy and absolutely fantastic, um, I think I can speak for you as well. The amount of music we, we've both discovered individually just through having a streaming subscription is is, is incredible and, and probably tenfold what it would be otherwise. Mm. Um, but if you find something you like, then I think that the message is still, unfortunately, to go and purchase that in some other way. Streaming simply does not currently support the artists. And that's the argument so many of them had. Uh, you remember Taylor Swift famously had that spat that she only resolved, what, a year or two ago with Spotify? Yeah. And it was it was purely revolving around the money that artists have been paid. And we've seen a, a few bigger name artists, I think Adele, maybe Jay-Z as well, um, with their most recent albums have had a, a kind of a holdout period for the album. So their, their back catalogs and whatnot are still available and 
they've always said, I think it will be available, but for a month or six months or however long it is, they the album is not available for streaming because obviously, I guess they're fully aware that if you want to make any money off of a, off of a big album, then, then not having it on streaming is, is the best way to go. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, I know streaming doesn't do much at all to support artists. It does pay small amounts. Um, it's not as if it doesn't pay anything, but but at the same time, yeah, that they might. But I guess the argument against that argument is the volume, and you know, well, we we expose the artist to higher um, numbers of people they previously may not get to, because there is a difference between pressing play on a song on Spotify and going, "Oh, that album looks good. Let's pay ten pounds for it," because people will will do one, they won't do the other. You know, I'm not going to go and pay, buy an album from an artist I've never heard of in my life, and I have no idea whether I'm going to like the song or not let alone the album. Whereas on Spotify, if I like the song, I'll start listening to their, their other music and, you know, and so on. So there's that argument, but I'm not saying that really balances out in terms of revenue. And yes, I know artists need to make money too, and I'm not saying anything um, different. Yeah, I, I guess the problem is when, when when people, you know, I use a streaming service as well, so I'm in the camp, when, when we make the argument that, oh, we wouldn't have discovered you, and when it's like, that's fine. But it's like, <laughs> these people made this music. It's not free to make music. Um, these people made the music. And I've, I've actually just found Moves post, um, and he's Said, uh, it says, my streaming royalty statement. This is why most musicians who have their music on streaming services won't be quitting their day job anytime soon. 50,000 streams equals $7.98. Streaming is handy, of course, and cost effective. But if they're independent musicians you want to financially support, buying their music will always be the best option. And it's just like, if 50,000 people had bought your CD, that's probably like $7.98 a CD, not for the entire, you know, in, entire number of uh, of streams or downloads, which is just just incredible, and I think that's why we we see so many big artists who you know don't want to be on streaming services because they I think they can just see straight through it and see that it is you know impossible for them to make any kind of money. Mm, yeah, but at, at this point, and I don't mean in this way, but given how many artists are on these platforms, not putting yourself on it is not doing anything to punish anyone but yourself. Unfortunately, I'm not saying that's good, but you're not. You're making a point. You may not be. I mean, well, well, and you could be benefiting yourself if people, if you're well enough, known well enough, and people have to buy the CDs. Then okay, you're making more revenue for. But it, it's a it's a tough one. But yeah, I, I certainly think, and I'm not disagreeing in any way. More should be done to give more money back to the artists who produce this content because, as you said, it's not free to make, and these people need to make a living too. It, that's I, that's what it boils down to. I don't know what I don't know what happens though because it, you go and buy an album, a CD. Like I just pre-ordered the new Blink record coming out, and I obviously. Did no blink obviously aaron no i know it's a tough one i obviously pre-ordered it on vinyl oh dear just you probably did didn't you i'm i'm not you're not not joking joking. about that no no no, i'm not you you know the the graph that we spoke about maybe a year ago i am part of the comeback you are a part of that non-existent comeback that's 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 just you i think i also pre-ordered it on so i got two bundles one comes with the cd one comes with a limited edition vinyl i couldn't help myself okay can um, i ask you something yeah Go on. Do you have a vinyl player? No. Didn't p- think so. It's purely for display. Yeah. Purely yeah. for display purposes. That's I might as well have like printed out a square <laughs> uh, square copy of the album cover for the same amount of good it's going to do. But anyway, beyond the point, kind of. Um, no, it's, it's, it's not. I know, I know. You I bought know. something you can't play, you know. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I did also buy a CD, which I also can't play. Play your car. That is true. That is very true. There you go. There's my excuse. But what I'm going to say is, like, I'm buying this because, not really because I want to financially support Blink. That's probably a little bit of a, you know, sold 50 million records worldwide or something. But I think if you, I have kind of reached that stage where if I like an album, I will go and buy it on CD because, as you know, as much as CDs just gather dust or I'll go buy it on iTunes or whatever. I'd rather give that £10 and it, let's assume the artist only ends up with between 20 and 50% of that actual end cop you know they're still ending up with let's say five pounds that is more than that artist is going to get more from me from that single album purchase than probably the in like me streaming them on spotify for the next 15 years um which i think is just crazy and i don't know what can be done about it because spotify subscription costs a cd a month the price of a cd a month 10 pounds a month what can spotify do can they you know they've costed it so low that Mm. it's not exactly like they can go right here's everyone's 10 pounds per single artist because you may stream <laughs> hundreds of artists or thousands of artists like yep. and the flip side of that to, to, to combat that or 
to compete with kind of the way traditional music uh, pricing works, they'd have to increase the price by like 10 times or 100 mm-hmm. times. So I think w- we need, we can keep saying more needs to be done, but I think we've, as consumers, we've backed Spotify and other streaming services and they've backed themselves into a corner where they only make £10 a month off of everyone. What else can they do? Yeah, exactly. Because a mass price hike is not going to do anything for them. We've seen that with Netflix. doesn't end well. Which would actually make the problem worse because that means Spotify could potentially not be able to pay the same royalties they already do. So that's what you call a rock and a hard place. I see what but you yeah, did something there. something does need done. And it's, it's not just Spotify. It's, it's it, We're using Spotify for example here, but but they're all the same. Every single music streaming service. I haven't ever heard of one music streaming service that says, you yeah, know, well, let's pay our artists for a price. Because it, it's difficult. And I'm not saying it's difficult. So screw you, artists. Just accept it. No. No, but how how do you fix that problem? It's exactly it. There is no there's no magic solution because the price has been set and everyone else followed. It just kind of unfortunately this is the future, and I think this is why there are so many holdouts because if you traditionally look at the holdouts, they're traditionally artists from the previous music era. Mm. And I think we can't ignore the fact that, and we, we kind of touched on it briefly, that that streaming really does help. And I think you can count YouTube in this as well. It's a massive thing for discovery. It's also a massive thing if you're a new band or a new artist starting out you can go as far as i'm aware you can go upload your music to the streaming services to youtube for free whereas these other artists are coming from an era where you needed a record label you know there was a whole distribution kind of thing and i think it is two slightly different areas that have one advantage i think going back is i think more money was generally made the advantage going forward is it, it's far easier for, for new bands and new artists to come up and be discovered um, mm. obviously probably not going to be quitting your day job anytime soon after that but that's a different matter entirely so I think streaming and digital music has done absolutely wonderful things and it has also done some absolutely terrible things but that seems to be a running theme with technology yeah speaking of um, rights for artists and, and creators the community based YouTubers union that damn times fast claims uh, to fight for rights of the platform's frustrated content creators but until now hasn't had the influencer power to contribute much towards that goal they presented their list of demands to the platform this week though the effort came with full force of europe's largest trade union ig metal behind it they're calling the collaborative initiative fairtube and they've given the platform until august 23rd to address their appeals for increased transparency and lobbying power among its community of content creators we aren't demanding things that cut into profits or are unrealistic we want fairness we want transparency we want to be treated like partners and we want personal communication instead of anonymous communication explained the leader of the youtube union jorg sprave the campaign's effort seems to be resonating with the youtube community sprave told uh, online sites that over email that youtube's union has grown by 1200 members in the three days since virtube's announcement video went live and the comments are overwhelmingly positive youtube's content creators have weathered several waves of mass demonetization over the past few years obviously there was a notorious one in 2017 the ad Clips. Say that again, ten times fast. Adpocalypse. <laughs> Ad okay, well, yeah, look at you. We're in concerns about ads appearing before pro-ISIS propaganda and other extremist content led many advertisers to boycott the platform. YouTube's modification to address these issues combined with notoriously horrible copyright infringement systems and a pattern of inexplicably flagging innocuous videos have severely impacted how independent creators make a living off the platform. This fallout from the adpocalypse, you see Aaron, inspires Brave to create the YouTube's union in 2018. YouTubers union is the official title. So YouTube haven't been very popular recently, have they, with their uh, users? Which is funny because, well not funny, I don't mean funny as in haha, it's just interesting because because YouTube are only YouTube because of these people. I think that is exactly what they've been saying. You read the next line and it's the real YouTubers that are the reason for YouTube's big success are getting censored, deleted, erased and hidden. Making a living on YouTube is no longer possible. That's exactly it. And I think we've kind of talked about that uh, for a couple of years now. The, the, the people who made YouTube YouTube are unfortunately getting treated with little to no respect. Um, I think YouTube is very much a platform that kind of lives in the now so whatever's popular now is what they support and no matter whether you were part of the previous era or previous generation that helped help made or help make youtube so big i think youtube don't care well that's at least the uh the kind of vibe they give is it a case that they are too big now to really not to care but for this to be a problem for them because not everyone's going to stop uploading to the platform you know okay people may say you know what this 
isn't working for me. Bye. But at the end of the day, most people are still going to post content to YouTube. It's it's really tricky. And I think kind of it really is one of those things where I think you hit the nail on the head where YouTube are massive. YouTube are also one of the only ones that will offer a way of making money off videos like they do. I think Vimeo are the next closest platform and advertisers just don't really go over there. Or the same type of advertisers don't really go over there. And Vimeo have some pretty strict, I think, guidelines, rightfully so, on what can be uploaded. I'm pretty sure they have a blanket ban on certain content. I believe gaming is some of that because they just want to avoid all the copyright issues that come with that. Um, so instead mm. of doing a one-by-one -one basis, they just blanket ban it. And I think Vimeo has very much kind of been cornered into probably the more niche filmmakery kind of website. And I think they're quite happy over there doing that, making their money. Um, and that really does just leave YouTube as king of the hill for everything else. And when a website doesn't have competition, when a service, hardware, whatever, doesn't have competition, I think this is what we end up with. We end up with companies creaming a huge percentage off the top of everything. You know, whereas in reality, all YouTube have done here is gather some advertisers and give everyone a platform. So it kind of feels like they're taking a huge cut for not doing a whole lot. Um, the same argument has been made with Apple and the App Store over the, over the years. 30% in the App Store is, is quite a large cut for, a for all they do is, is uh, or for all the perception that they do is that they just host your app, whereas in reality, the tools, the platform, etc. So it's a little, little tricky. But with YouTube, they're just a video host. Yeah. They've gathered some advertisers, called themselves a video host, and all of a sudden, they're in like the big, big chair and controlling everything. And, you know, they can basically make or break someone's YouTube career in an instant and they can change it week to week, mm. which I think is is really tricky. And it is one of the side effects of not having any kind of competition. YouTube pretty much go untouched. Anything they do goes almost unchallenged. I think any change... Um, any kind of advertiser event that's happened over the past two, three, four years has very much hit the headlines and has very much been spoken about by or among creators on the platform. But I think when you look back at the history, not a whole lot has happened. YouTube had never really held accountable or held you know, held to action no. purely because, as you alluded to a little while ago, where else are people going to go? People aren't going to stop uploading to the platform because it's their only choice. And one thing I will draw your attention to this week is a platform that does have competition, Twitch. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, and I'm sure there are very few of you, Twitch is a live streaming platform, been around forever. I think probably me and you remember when it was called Justin.tv back in the day. Um, yeah. Twitch is traditionally for, uh, speaking of which, I haven't heard the name, I haven't heard the name Ustream in years, but anyway. Um, no. Twitch.tv is traditionally for, or has very much become a platform for gamers to stream video to audiences live. And it has helped popularize certain games recently like Fortnite is also helped create some massive massive creators one of them being a guy called Ninja and he recently or this week I believe has now jumped platform to another platform called Mixer and I think he's I read the article and he's like leaves 15 million fans behind on Twitch and moves to Mixer and it shows I think what competition can do mm. there is another platform to jump to now I don't believe it's out of any spite for Twitch or anything I, I assume it's mixer wanted a figurehead and they're willing to pay for it type thing you know they're the new kids on the block and they they, they want to go and grab the the biggest fish from twitch's pond so i think you know i don't think there's any ill feelings for twitch there but there is a platform to move through there is competition and i think between the two of them now and the others that also exist they will uh, they will push that space forward something like that needs to exist in the youtube space but youtube has got to the point where it is so big it has so many advertisers on the platform that we've kind of seen competition come and go over the years. We've seen a few little startups try it. I can't remember the... There was one... It's only like a year or two ago and I remember like... I forget what it was called. Um, like, a, like people switch... Or creators were like uploading their videos as well. Um, but I think it was one of those where you had to pay like a fee to access the video. So a bit like Patreon almost. Um, but I don't think anything really came of it and YouTube is still, still king of the hill. Um, and it's why I think more and more creators are resorting to things like Patreon because whilst you know a lot of people use ad blockers, I think on top of that, Adpocalypse was such a was such a bad thing for the platform that I, I get the impression that the amount of money you make off each video now is like severely less than it used yeah. to be just a couple of years ago. And also it can vary so wildly case to case. Yeah, YouTube have a uh, have a monopoly and that's that's the problem with YouTube at the minute. And it's 
in in, in the event of, of Twitch, Twitch is, is different. You, know, you have a streaming platform there. And as you said, they, they provided terms and, and, and guidance to what they wanted and what, what they allowed, as did Vimeo. But if you say to someone, where do you watch videos? They're not going to say Vimeo, even if they do use Vimeo. I've watched something on Vimeo before, but where do you watch videos? YouTube. You know, it's, it's the Facebook of social networking. It's the iPhone or the Samsung of a smartphone. It is the, the flagship. And that's difficult to change. So and, and Google slash YouTube slash Alphabet, they know that. And they do they use that to their advantage? They probably do, which is unfortunate. But see, I, I kind of with YouTube, I don't get the impression any of this is intentional. I just kind of get the impression sometimes that YouTube is a bit dysfunctional. I don't actually have any belief that YouTube are doing half the stuff they get blasted for deliberately. Mm. Um, things like YouTube very much, and I think even for the creators, and I think this is partly because they're who they're owned by. Being a Google company, Google is traditionally very faceless. Google yeah. is very hard to get hold of. They don't have support. There's not really a figurehead to the company. Like It's very corporation-y. And YouTube being part of that umbrella, I think they get that same typecast. And I think for something where, in reality, the, the creators on the platform, I think they do have people to talk to, but I think it can sometimes feel massively disconnected between the platform and its creators. Um, you get the impression when you hear people talk that the platform does one thing and the creators go, what the hell? Um, mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no communication. It's a very anonymous company. Um, and I don't think that's YouTube just like trying to distance themselves or, or just trying to be annoying or, you know, do these things for a monetary gain. I think it's just YouTube feels a bit like a dysfunctionally run company. Um, and YouTube can't forget, unlike Twitter, unlike Facebook, YouTube have a set of creators that made that platform. Most people, probably from the early days of YouTube, we can remember the first video or the very early videos on YouTube. Like I remember going back to, I think I watched it last week. It's the first time I've probably watched it in like six or seven years. And it's a video uploaded in 2005 or six, I think. And it's literally just a guitar cover of a classical piece of music canon and he's like this was 12 years ago this was one of the biggest videos on youtube like it was the front page like viral sensation on youtube bearing in mind viral sensation didn't mean that much at that point and it's got like a few million views and this was the days when people uploaded content to youtube because it was a cool place to share video it got to the point i think a few years later where it was a cool place to share video and you can make a few bucks doing it Mm. the content that gets uploaded to youtube now is literally flipped the other way I think half of creators, and I, I still follow and I still watch, and I know there are some amazing creators still on the platform who create video because it's what they love. And that is the best side of YouTube. The other side of YouTube is literally the worst thing on the planet. They are the side of YouTube that make all the money, they get all the advertisers, but clickbait targets the wrong demo, or targets like kids, um, tries to sell things to kids. Um, terrible, terrible content. Just, oh, it's just some of the worst stuff you'll ever see. But that's who YouTube's seem to side with half the time. YouTube will do things to aid them instead of the flip side where, okay, maybe, you know, your favorite filmmaker or, or, you know, somebody who makes good content, they don't make as much money, but it's good stuff and it's advertiser friendly and whatnot. Whereas no YouTuber forever spent battling the other half that are forever wrapped up in in scandals and, you know, part of the reason for adpocalypse and stuff. So I think it's really tricky. I I think it's, it's really sad to see where the platforms ended up in 2019. It's both the best and the worst of. Um, I think we all look back with a with a little bit of, of rose-tinted spectacles as, as we do on many things of, of how YouTube used to be, even just 10 years ago. It was only 2009, which is super scary. But when it was just a smaller subset of creators, when some of the creators that still exist today were like, you know, big at that point. Like I remember watching a guy called, I think, Julian Smith. He used to make epic little skits and, uh, and little music videos. They were just really funny. And he hasn't made, I think he recently came back to, to making videos, but it hasn't been years and it, it's purely for like adpocalypse and whatnot. It's just, it's tough to make any kind of a living now. Yeah, you're right. There's a, a very distinctive split and that's where YouTube are rewarding those who bring a, and I'm not saying that the other ones don't, but bring a lot to them. They focus on certain ones and they use those people. And and I think there's also YouTube use, and, and this, this sounds conspiracist, but it's not. YouTube are Google and Google do advertising and know how to market to people very, very, very well. And they integrate that into YouTube and they use very specific algorithms to point what they want you to watch not what you want to watch and that's where the frustration from the user comes from as well um, and this has happened from 
ooh, when I, I can't even remember, but I do remember a point in which YouTube changed things quite significantly where no longer were your subscriptions straight in front of you. It was more, here's what we think you would like because X, Y, Z and ABC. And, and that's not really changed since. So I can understand people's frustration and I get it. And uh, yeah, YouTube certainly need to do something about it because the people who make the content are the people who make YouTube. And it's not the people who YouTube reward the heaviest who make the content that people enjoy watching. There is the content that people do watch because it's marketed to them correctly, but not not specifically the ones who they, they want to watch, which is a very contrasting thing. So this is good. This is you know this is action that YouTube um, content creators haven't had before, and backing from a union which they haven't had before. So going forward, let's see what this does. We'll give them until August twenty third, and then we'll review it. Finally, to round us up for today, something which we've already said and we know already, but further evidence proves that people don't want four figure smartphones, thousand dollar, thousand pound phones. Essentially, Amazon's iPhone revenues down year over year. Amazon, or sorry, Samsung, not Amazon. Amazon. Samsung said the sales of their Galaxy S10 were weak during their second quarter. What does that say? It says people aren't buying expensive phones and upgrading at, at the same pace as they were. They're, they're buying at a slower pace. And that might mean that they it's not that they don't want them. Um, they, they don't want to pay that price. No one really does. But people are still going to pay it because, you know, you need a phone. But there's the potential they're not going to upgrade anywhere near as frequently as what they did. And that could actually have a damaging effect because if you're charging four, five, six hundred, seven. 650 we'll go with 650 for a phone and release a new one every year and someone buys a new one every year then all of a sudden they're putting more money into your bank account than well depending on 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 the markup and the margins and how much the phone costs to make etc but plain simple maths here will assume that costs are the same um, and revenue and profits the same from each sale gets you more than someone buying a phone every three years because they're paying a thousand pound and i know you might think to yourself right well 650 over those three years is um is a good bit less than a thousand in you know every year but People aren't buying a phone every year now because the phone lasts them longer and they're wanting to get their money's worth out of it. So, it's, it, it, yeah, it's a tough decision um, for, for companies. Apple and Samsung's most recent earnings reports show the same thing. No matter how good the phone is, the price point is not warranted. Apple doesn't break out unit sales anymore, but on Tuesday, it reported iPhone revenue of $25.99 billion in fiscal tw- uh, 20. Quarter three, sorry, 2019, missing Wall Street estimates of 26.31 billion, according to FactSet. That figure's down 12% versus the same quarter last year. Samsung reported their second quarter earnings on Wednesday specifically said it saw demand for more affordable phones, including its A-series devices, but the Galaxy S10 didn't fur as well. Samsung smartphone shipments increased quarter over quarter, led by strong sales of the new A-series, including the Galaxy A50 and A70. However, sales of flagship models fell quarter over quarter and weak sales momentum for the Galaxy S10 and stagnant demand for premium products. So there you go. Samsung have it in the, the, the proof is right there. Cheaper phones have sold better, more expensive ones haven't. That is backed up by what we said um, a few weeks ago with Google and their Pixel series, you know, the, the, the 3A is selling very well for Pix- uh, for Google and it's at a lower price point. So what more do you need? The problem is how do companies reverse what they've done then? How do they make, do, do they need to, do they want to, or is this just the way it's going to be, Aaron? It's a tricky thing, isn't it? It's, it kind of feels like Samsung, Apple, Google have all realized exactly what they need to do, but none of them, or they're probably waiting for someone else to do it first. It's like, you know, they're all in a bit of a bit of a standoff and who, who wants to cave first who wants to go okay we'll drop the price mm. um and i genuinely think apple might be the ones to do it because apple have been on a bit of a run of dropping prices recently we saw apple be very open about the fact they dropped the macbook air entry price apple even sent it out in an email campaign like i think the thinnest laptop just got cheaper or something like that like apple seems to be very open about dropping prices at the moment which is very weird um but i think that this is, as you said, it's something we've been talking about for, for a year or two now. It's something that's so painfully obvious to literally anyone. Buying a thousand pound phone is just like just the most crazy thing I can think of doing. When we bought our plus size phones, they were the more expensive iPhone you could buy at the time. And that price had gone up by I think like 150 pounds when we bought them. So that made them probably 800 pounds, I think, something like that, which was like wildly more money than I thought I'd ever spend on a phone. And wildly more money than I think I'll ever spend on a phone in the near future again. I can't imagine spending that much, let alone two, three hundred pounds more than that. I think
think it's just nuts. I would love a 10s. I would love a 10s Mac. Am I going to pay 1500 pounds for it? Hell no. I got my car for that much money. Mm. And a car is way more enjoyable than a phone. And the, the, it helps that the 7 Plus is lasting for ages anyway. Um, which is something we've seen over the past few years, as you've said. Um, one of the things we talked about when I think the 10s came out and the, and the, and the price kind of stayed high is phones are lasting longer. Phones are lasting longer than 12 or 24 months now. Um, traditionally, when the iPhone and when early uh, Galaxy models came out, give it a year, give it two years, and that phone was ready to be replaced. Um, that the OS was advancing at a pace that the hardware couldn't keep up with, whereas especially on the Apple side over the past five, six years, the hardware has advanced at such a pace that the software doesn't even really push it, which means that iOS updates, you know, four or five years, still flying, still like butter. Um, I mean, our iPhones came with what? iOS 10, 9, 9, 10 maybe? And iOS 13 is still like absolute butter on mine. Um, and I think that's kind of a bit of a reason I think the price went up. Um, if you've got people upgrading once every two years, once every year, once every two years, you've got a reoccurring revenue stream of five, six hundred pounds from them. Mm. Now, if they're upgrading every four or five years, you double that price, don't you? To get that same amount of reoccurring revenue. Um, but I think people are not infatuated by buying a thousand pound phone anymore. It's it's not a status symbol. Owning an iPhone is, is not what it used to be for a lot of people. Um, I think most people, they need a few basic apps and they're, they're fully aware that the cheap phones will do that just as well. Bearing in mind when we're saying cheap phone, we're not talking your one to 200 pound mark, which is still really expensive for a lot of people. When we say cheap, whilst talking about a general thousand pound phone, we're talking, you know, five, six, seven hundred pounds is quote, massive air quotes, cheap. Yeah. yeah. And in reality, for, for most people, what we're classing as cheap here is not cheap. Like that is still the top end of, or even far beyond most people's market. Yeah. Not everyone needs um, it either. You know, not everyone says, oh, I need that brand new A67 chip because they don't. Like, I find it hilarious when people call the 10R the budget iPhone or mm. the, a budget phone. It's like, what world do you live in? <laughs> that, what is it? Is it six or seven? Hang on, hang on. Please hold caller. And uh, bye. <laughs> You're going to tell yourself in the bank. Elevator music intensify. 529, no. 749 pounds. Apple really do tease you with the price on there nowadays. They're like, 529 pounds if you trade in an iPhone. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also true. And that, that's, that, that shows something, doesn't it? That, that tells you something. They know themselves. So a 64 gigabyte iPhone XR in any color is 749 pounds. It's almost as much as we paid for our more expensive iPhones three, four years ago. That is incredible. It is not budget yep. in any way, shape or form. And I really wish people would stop calling it that. Yes, it's cheaper than the next or the iPhone next to it, but it's not a budget phone. A budget phone is still to me under three, maybe under 350, not 800 quid. Redefining the market is what Apple are trying to do. Ridiculous. Redefining the price point at least. Yeah, it's something that does need to be rolled back at least in some way. But yeah, it, it's tough. How do you do that? It's the same thing with Spotify. You've you've set a margin. You've set a point. You've you've made an example. How do you go back and say, "Oh, sorry," you know, it's it's difficult. Here's a better phone, but we're charging less for it. How do you explain that one? Because they could. I mean, the phone doesn't cost that much to make, but wouldn't look funny, good and it wouldn't do, do much for for the company. That would be such a like. I actually genuinely think that'd be great marketing campaign for whomever does it. If Apple. Can came out and said, you know, it's the same great iPhone you expect, but you know, now it now starts at 599 or 699 or whatever. I actually don't think that would be such a detrimental thing for Apple at this point. I think that no, would be a No, no, it thing. wouldn't be at this point, but then when, when inflation increases, when prices go up and, and Apple actually genuinely legitimately have to increase the price of the phone, then people start scratching their heads and say, well, hold on, you, you rolled it back, you said we get the same for, for less, and now, now you're charging us more. What? You know, I guess, but I guess yeah, it, I know what you mean. I guess it's a bit of a rock and a hard place for them the yeah, cost of making a, the cost of making a phone is going up you've got import tariffs in the states and whatnot now so to keep investors happy the price of the phone goes up but then the consumer happiness is way down at that point and it's like a forever ending you either make more money or you sell more like it's do you want to i guess selling qu uh quantity or uh, money it's tough yeah 
hard to decide. Before we we end, um, we've just something that we, we, we wouldn't fail to mention, and in fact, something has just popped up here as um, as breaking news as well, which, yeah, sadly so. But first off, um, a, a mass shooting which occurred in Texas over the weekend there. 20 people have been killed, 26 injured in the city of El Paso in Texas. It happened um, at a, a shopping center in one of the the biggest malls in in I think the city in the area in, and uh, just a few miles from the U.S. Mexican border. Cardly attack, an absolute, undescribable, unthinkable thing. Crazy, absolutely crazy, and and so sad that so many people have lost their lives. Innocent people who are out with family, friends, loved ones, doing what everyone does, enjoying themselves on the weekend, and some moron. Uh, I I could say much worse but you know um, decided to take it upon himself to do what he had zero right to do absolutely crazy and and very sad and unfortunately i, I i'm <laughs> there we go i was we've said this before um with these events which just keep happening and i just don't get it but we always say we would love this to be the last time but sadly it's not going to be and there we go just news literally just surfacing right now has come through that nine people have been killed 16 injured in another mass shooting this time in Dayton Ohio that's the second in less than 24 hours in total 29 innocent people have lost their lives for no apparent reason whatsoever crazy absolutely crazy our thoughts are with anyone affected by those events um, and I yeah there's there's no words really to, to describe that on that note we will end if you enjoy uh, the show you can find Find more episode, uh, episodes sorry, over at munchtech.tv. For our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter, the ultimate guide to podcasting, uh, podcastassist.com and munchtech.tv forward slash book. And of course, as we always state, our interview with Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, computing pioneer and engineering genius, munchtech.tv forward slash was. As always... Thank you so much for your continued support of the show, for joining us on every episode from every part of the world. We're humbled by it. We really do appreciate it. And that's what makes doing the show worth it. Until next week, have a great, safe, enjoyable week. And we'll see you on episode 477. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.